The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the Authentic Living Show. You know, you would think after centuries and centuries and centuries of marriage and long-term committed relationships or just relationships that we would have learned something about how to relate, how to have a a happy, long-term committed relationship. But after all of that, we have finally arrived at our adolescence and our understanding of relationship. In other words, we still have a long way to go. Well... What do you expect, though? I mean, only 150 years ago, we were still often arranging marriages, which we had been doing the same way for centuries. We arranged for good dowry, good property, money, prestige, even good teeth and good hips. So this thing of marrying someone we love is new, and we have only begun the work of understanding how to do it. You know what typically happens in adolescence? We fall in and out of love very quickly. Unfortunately, that's still where we are with this new understanding of marriage. But actually, that process for the adolescent teaches him or her something about relationships. And so we are likewise learning. What are we learning? Stay here today to find out what we're learning and how to have a happy, long-term relationship. So, okay, what is this thing of a happy, long-term relationship? Well, we see a few people. uh, I know people and you know people that have had, you know, 50, 60 years of a long-term happy relationship. Yes, they've had... um, some serious problems to encounter in terms of finances or health or the health of their children, the well-being of their children or other outside circumstances that have uh, impacted them, but they have overall grown as a result of each encounter with something difficult and have gotten closer and more committed to each other and they're not, and they're living in happiness and uh, intimacy and uh, a real closeness that just can't seem to be broken. There are those relationships out there. We say that there's not, but there are. And they're older, so we're not paying much attention to them, <laughs> but we should be because some some research is beginning to define some of the characteristics of a long-term, hath, happy, healthy, effective relationship. And one of the primary ones is intimacy. Intimacy is 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 not just sex. Intimacy is being able to relate to someone from your deepest, most vulnerable self and expect them to do the same and to have them receive what's vulnerable inside of you with respect and love and tenderness um, and support. So when, when we talk about long-term committed effective relationships, that's what we're talking about is people who know how to be intimate. 
And we're going to talk some more about specifically what that means in just a little while. But before we get there, we have to understand how we might go about attracting someone who has the capacity to do a long-term committed relationship with us. First, we have to be that person. We have to be the person who can have a long-term, effective, committed relationship with another person. And we have to be able to attract that person who can also do the same. Um, That's difficult for many of us because, A, we have our own unresolved issues and we encounter other people with their own unresolved issues. When we get attracted to someone, if you've been listening to the show for very long, you've heard me say this before, but I'm going to say it again because repetition is a good and effective way of learning. Um, when we get attracted to someone, we what happens is the unconscious opens up and spills down on a conscious experience what it feels. And so what is in the unconscious is we're attracted to someone who will represent something to the unconscious. So if the unconscious still has some unresolved issues in it, then we're going to get attracted to someone who will remind us of those unresolved issues. Why? Because the psyche is always leaning toward wholeness. The psyche wants us to be whole, and it knows when there's stuff in, in it that isn't whole. It knows when we haven't integrated. It knows when there are split-off aspects of our, of our understanding of who we are that operate independently of our consciousness. And, and so we may do things that we don't even understand and uh, cry about things we don't even know why we're crying. Or get anxious and not even know why we're anxious. And that's, the, that's pieces of material in the unconscious that are operating independent of our conscious awareness. And those things need to be resolved and integrated. And so when we, when, uh, when we get attracted to someone, those things come out of the unconscious along with the falling in love. So that's why we call it falling in love because the, the attraction falls down on the consciousness from the unconsciousness. And and so when we're when we're talking about attract, attraction, we're talking about a very interesting, complicated kind of uh of issue. Uh and people ask me all the time, why do I get keep steep getting attracted to the same kind of person over and over again? Uh, my answer is I, mean, I don't really say this to them, this is a process of unfoldment, but the truth is, the answer is, because you still have the same unresolved issues. So if I get attracted to one alcoholic after another, then I've got some issues about alcoholism that are unresolved in my psyche. Perhaps my father or my, father, my mother was an alcoholic. It doesn't matter about gender. People say, well, you get attracted to, girls get attracted to their father and boys get attracted to their mother. And that's not true. Based, is first, it's based on a totally heterosexual model, which no longer uh, fits everyone. I mean, never did, but now we're aware that it doesn't fit everyone in the world. And second, um, it, is, uh, it, it isn't true that we fall in love with the opposite gendered parent in, in the form of another human being. It is true that we, we fall in love with unresolved issues because we're trying to resolve them. So if I've got an unresolved issue with a mother or a father who's an alcoholic, I might get attracted to one alcoholic after another so that I can finally figure out that dad or mom didn't keep drinking because of me. They didn't keep drinking because they didn't love me or they loved their drink more than they loved me. They kept drinking because they're alcoholics with a disease that that, incapa- that to- totally absorbed their thinking. So there was nothing else in the world but alcohol. 
And uh, is that an excuse? No, but it means that the, that the child is not the issue at all. The, the parent didn't drink because the child wasn't loved. The parent drank because the parent drank, period. And when the child can detach him or herself from, from why did, did mommy or daddy drink, then they begin to heal. So we've connected in our young, magical thinking minds, we've connected dots that don't belong connected. And, and therefore, we identify with things that aren't really valid identifications. And we live those things out until we start realizing that our healing will happen when we can really see the truth of what was going on there. So uh, we get attracted to people that are going to, bring up old unresolved issues for us and even in the healthiest of arrangements where we're not attracted to someone who who has is presenting us with unresolved issues we still have our own unresolved issues that we bring to the relationship and will work out in the relationship and part of the intimacy and vulnerability that grows in a relationship is the capacity to work out those difficult issues in a relationship that are that are uh maybe interfering with the, rela- the the capacity of the two individuals to be intimate or that, you know, rumble up from time to time and cause fights. So, And it's really interesting, really fascinating to me that very commonly the issues, uh, unresolved issues of one party in a relationship will trigger the unresolved issues of the other party in the relationship, which triggers the issues of the first party in the relationship and yeah, round and round we go. Um, very common. And the whole point of that is so that both parties can resolve their own unresolved issues. Um, So this thing of relationship is not something that just comes by itself. It's not a separate thing that comes on a white horse and sweeps us off our feet and carries us off into paradise. It isn't separate from the rest of our psyches. It uh, It is informed by our psyches and the relationship informs the psyche. So we are we are one. Uh, we're, we're not split off into various pieces. Uh, we are connected in ways we don't even know, but there are unresolved issues that can operate as if they're not connected and and operate independently of our conscious awareness. So um, when we're thinking about getting married, so often what happens is the archetype of arranged marriage is still present in our dynamic. What I mean by that is that I am still getting attracted to who my who whatever my parents wanted of me. So if my parents saw me as um, somebody who was going to take care of them, say let's just say that my parents were either sick or uh, drug addicts or something, and I can't, and I and they needed me to be the parent, so I took over that role and became the parent in the in the family. And let's say then that I get attracted to people that I need to parent who need someone to parent them. Um, I'm going to get sick of that after a while, but the the dynamic originated in my family of origin. And so I'm going to need to um, really look at that and clarity about that before I'm going to be able to heal what happens in my primary relationships as an adult. And uh, so in that sense, then, I'm my parents are still arranging my marriage course they're doing it unconsciously and I'm doing it unconsciously but it's still an arranged marriage of sorts Uh, so what we want to do is move away from that archetype completely 
so that we're no longer being uh, having our range our marriages arranged by unresolved material in our psyches but arranged by our authenticity so that we attract people who are also uh, working to be authentic people and and so therefore we have a better shot at creating an effective long-term committed happy healthy relationship so all right in terms of uh, of that attraction what we need to understand is that the attraction itself is is an important feature. Does that mean that we're being called from the heavens to marry? No, it does not. Uh, we tend to think that way, though, that if I'm in love with you, we're supposed to be together. I know we're supposed to be together because I'm in love with you and you're in love with me. That means we're supposed to be together. Not true. <laughs> we often fall in love with Mr. and Mrs. Wrong. We often, uh, and and they often fall in love with us. So we're not, uh, there, I want to sort of remove that mythology that says that if you fall in love with somebody, well, that means you have to stick to it and work it out because that's, that means that, you know, it's a calling from God or the gods or whatever to, to marry. Um, we, we can know when it's time to really commit to someone when we trust, we have come through experience, and that's a key word, through experience to trust that that person really does have the capacity for commitment, for healthy dialogue, for uh, intimate relating, for taking responsibility for their own stuff, which we're going to talk a lot more about, um, that kind of thing. So we, when we trust that, then it's time to commit and not before and not until. And commitment can mean anything. If you, if you want to call it marriage, that's fine. If you want to call it living together in a committed, uh, exclusive relationship, that's fine too. It doesn't matter. If it's a gay relationship, that's fine. It doesn't matter. If it's a straight relationship, it doesn't matter. We're not talking about gender. We're not talking about sexual orientation. We're talking about commitment. And it doesn't matter what you call it. If you have said to someone, I'm yours and you're mine and we're going to stay together and we're going to be exclusive, that's a commitment. So uh, we, don't, we don't need to do that, however, until, like I said, we get to the place where we actually trust that both we and the other party have the capacity for a healthy, happy, long-term relationship. Um, so we're going to talk some more about what that means um, in the next segment. When we, talk about, um, when we talk about these commitments, what we need to understand first and foremost is that uh, commitment is not something you do once in front of a pastor and on all your friends and family. It is not uh, a signed certificate that says you're married. That is not commitment. Commitment is something you do every day. It is something you do when you wake up in the morning and you are still uh, powerfully committed to this person. And you wake up the next morning and you're still powerfully committed to this person. And you wake up the next morning and you're still powerfully committed to this person. Commitment is an everyday thing. It is not something you do once and you're done doing that. And it should, you, you should just live out of that from now on. Um, that's, that's a um, false premise that too many marriages break up upon. Uh, they're, they're, they're basing their commitment on something that happened once 10 years ago, 5 years ago, 20 years ago, 40 years ago. It happened once. No, it didn't. It either happens every day or it's not happening at all. Commitment is an everyday affair. So if you're not doing it every day, you're not doing it. 
If you wake up most days going, yeah, uh, this relationship sucks and I really don't want to be in it anymore, you're not committed. And that reality needs to sink home and we need to honor it by exploring what's really true and false in the relationship. But a lot of people don't want to do that because they committed once 10 years ago so they can't really let themselves go there. And that's where they're setting themselves up to eventually have an affair or do something else that's going to really absolutely destroy the relationship because they don't have the nerve uh, to go ahead and explore what's possible, what's impossible in this relationship. They'd rather just let it sort of happen. And then when it happens, it's ugly and, and, uh, and hurtful. So exploring it openly with your partner is a skill that comes as a part of relationship skills that are required for a happy healthy, long-term committed relationship. The requirements are, are all about these relationship skills, which I said we're going to talk about in the next segment. But they're also about the quality of the love involved. The love is only love if it really is love. It's not uh, possessiveness. It's not the jealousy that comes with possessiveness. It's not power that looks like, you know, that t- says it loves but actually looks like power. I need to control you is not the same as I love you. Um, uh, it is not uh, a passivity that says I need to be controlled, so take care of me. That is not love. That is need. That's not the same as love. But a lot of times we get all these other things mixed up with love. And because we, we've never really loved another person, and many times we've never really been loved by another person. We may say to ourselves that our parents loved us, but perhaps they didn't. Perhaps they tried to control us and called that love. Perhaps they needed us and called that love. Perhaps they wanted to possess us and called that love. Perhaps they thought that we were little, little thems walking around, and they called that love, but that's not love. That's narcissism. So... There's a lot of things that we call love that aren't really love. So the first and most important thing that we have to have in order to make a healthy, happy, long-term relationship really uh, work is both parties have to love each other just the way they are. In other words, you're not going into the relationship thinking, I'll change him, I'll change her. You're going into the relationship really knowing that I can accept him or her just exactly like she or he is without any additions or subtractions. And when, when you have that kind of acceptance and still want to be in the presence of that person very commonly and, and really look to be with that person and really want to be with that person more than anybody else, you got a good shot at a healthy, happy, long-term commitment. So we're going to stop right there and take a break. We'll be back in just a few more minutes. We're going to talk about relationship skills and compatibility in the next segment. Be here for that. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Are you a spiritual seeker? Have you always pondered the deeper questions in life? Have you looked at many spiritual paths and found some answers but are looking for more? The Open Door, brought to you by the Summit Lighthouse, brings you each week practical spiritual teachings and tools that promote self-mastery, higher consciousness, and the opportunity to connect with the Ascended Masters. Join Tom Schumacher and Terry Kennedy as we explore the universe of spirituality 
Live every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Pacific, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the 7th Wave Channel. Jungian Karmic Astrology interweaves your personality, relationship dynamics, life's challenges, and themes with your world. Listen for Astrology, the Theory of Everything, with co-hosts Mary Jo Weavers and Janie McCarthy. They bring together professional astrologers, students, enthusiasts, spiritualists, experts, guests, and listeners to exchange valuable ideas and relevant information. Each show will examine and investigate special topics and current events, their meaning, and potential resolutions. We're here Thursdays at 10 a.m. Pacific, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave. Being Here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss Being Here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane, right here on the 7th Wave Network. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Seek greater awareness. Listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1 866 472 5795. That's 1 866 472 5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. The Authentic Living Show is sponsored by the American Institute of Holistic Theology. AIHT offers degrees in interfaith and interspiritual educational programs that enable you to not only find your own authentic spirituality, but to bring your unique gift to the world in service upon graduation. At AIHT, you can get a master's, doctorate, or ministerial bachelor's degree, and the doctoral programs are broken down so that you may get a PhD, a doctor of ministry, or in the holistic theology program, a doctor of theology degree. The programs in which you may get these degrees are holistic theology, holistic health, holistic ministries, metaphysics, and parapsychology. These courses offer depth and meaning to not only your own spiritual search for truth and meaning, but to your capacities to bring your healing, loving, guiding gifts to the world. The population of students includes doctors, lawyers, healers, nurses, ministers, counselors, psychologists, social workers, nutritionists, herbologists, homeopathy practitioners, psychics, mediums, and many others who have a special gift but need to learn to hone it and to credential it. It also includes students who simply wish to enhance their own profound spiritual journeys. What's most important to AIHT's model is the exploratory nature of studies that reach to the depths of all the world's religions, traditions, and paths, and even to transcend them to find the mystical core of them all in order to facilitate your own journey to your own authentic spirituality by utilizing, as your text-writing teachers, spiritual experts from all over the world. You can learn more about what's offered by going to www.aiht.edu. Or if you'd like to talk directly to the admissions director, call Beverly Love at 800-650-4325. That's 800-650-4325. You know, Oprah says education is the key to unlocking the world, a passport to freedom. Call and get your passport today. 
So today we're talking about what it takes to have a long-term, healthy, happy relationship. And what we said in the first segment is that we have to be attracted to someone who has the capacity to do that, and we have the capacity, have to have the capacity to do that. And we also said that we have to really love the other person. And so we defined love as not that thing that looks like possessiveness or power or passiveness that allows other people to take care of us. Um, a lot of people talk about getting invo- getting into a long-term committed relationship so they can have somebody to take care of and somebody to take care of them. And that mythology has persisted throughout uh, the ages that that one of the perks you get out of being in a long-term committed relationship is you get somebody to take care of you and you take care of them. And I can't tell you how many couples have sat on my sofa in my office <laughs> who really believe that the other, both parties were supposed to make them happy. Yeah, you're supposed to make me happy and I'm supposed to make you happy. And neither one of them were happy and they just didn't understand why the other person wasn't making them happy. And what I tell them is, this is what I'm about to tell you, which is that happiness is an inside job. It's not something that somebody else can give you. If you don't already have it, there's nothing they can do about it. Now, they might do some fun stuff with you, but if you're not happy, you might not be able to receive that fun stuff. You might not be able to really resonate deep in your inner being so that you can really be happy with it. Um, And so happiness is something that each person is responsible for individually. It's not something that someone else, no matter how good looking or sexy or uh, uh, how much love they have to give, they cannot make you happy, not unless you are committed to making yourself happy. <coughs> Excuse me. So that's, that's important to really understand that, that uh, getting involved in a committed relationship doesn't necessarily mean that you're always going to be happy. You might have your own stuff that you're going to have to work on throughout the time you're together with this person, which will allow you to be happy if, of course, you work on it. So, all right, let's describe a little bit about what it is to, um, what it means to have a relationship uh, in terms of what the qualities are that we might be looking for in a long-term committed relationship with somebody who really does know how to relate. So, these are the relationship skills um, that we are, that are just absolutely required if you're going to have to have a healthy, happy, long-term relationship. We have to be uh, have to own our own feelings, our own thoughts, and our own behaviors, rather than making others responsible for them. Therefore, you can't say you make me angry because nobody else makes you angry. You're angry because that's your inner response to something that happened, either externally or internally, and that's that belongs to you. You can't you can't give somebody else the power to do that to you or for you. You can't say you make me happy. You can't say you make me anything because nobody else has the capacity to get inside you and create feelings or create uh, attitudes or create behaviors. Um, So many people who are abusive tend to blame their victim for the abuse. So if I hit you, it's because you sassed me and I had to hit you. I mean, that's just how it is. We can't tolerate sass, so I had to hit you. That's, of course, abuse, and it belongs only to the abuser, not to the person who said whatever they did. Nobody deserves to be hit no matter what they say. Um, I'm not saying that what they said was correct to say or or kind to say, but that doesn't mean you have to hit them. There's no have-tos. So uh, this idea that other people can make us feel is a a kind of bottom line, uh, low grade of the gradations of, of the continuum of 
uh, of abuse that is possible out there. So at the ex- one extreme, there is, I had to hit you because you sassed me. On the other extreme, there is, but you're supposed to make me happy. And, and they fall on a continuum, those, those uh, emotions going from low-grade um, control to high-grade control. So we don't want to get into a relationship with someone who believes that we're responsible for their feelings. And you're not going to know that if you've only known this person for two weeks. That's really important. Uh, One of the requirements for a long-term, happy, healthy, long-term commitment is to have be with someone for long enough to get to know them, really get to know them. Not just their best foot forward, not just all the stuff they're saying because they intuit that you want to hear it, but really... What are they doing? What are their reactions and actions? How do they take responsibility? So getting to know someone is primary, really getting to know them. And that takes some time. It just does. You can't go out with a person three or four times and maybe sleep with them and have great sex and think, oh, this is it. We're, we're just together. Now, on occasion, you'll run into relationships that work that way. I'm going to say they just got lucky. They were, they were able to uh, have worked through enough of their own stuff. And happened to meet each other at the right time after they'd worked through their own stuff and it just seemed to work. And they had the relationship skills and the compatibility and the love to carry it off. Uh, but most people can't do that. So, all right, it, we have to be able to own our own feelings, thoughts, and behaviors rather than making other people responsible for these. And we have to be attracted to someone who knows how to own her own feelings, thoughts, behaviors rather than making others responsible for those. Um, we have to be able to make good on our promises to work on given issues of which we become conscious in the relationship. Um, when, we're, when we say, I'm going to work on that to a party in a relationship, we need to make good on that. We need to really work on it. And if we can't figure out how to work on it, we need to go see a therapist who will help us figure out to work on it, how, how to work on it. So it's not just about you know, getting into a relationship and being kind to each other and, and being respectful to each other. It's about working on the issues that are the blind spots that creep into the relationship that neither party knows about until all of a sudden it's the pink elephant in the living room and you got to look at it and deal with it. Um, when, if, if you know, so many times uh, in relationships I work with, there's a party that says, I'm going to do better, I'm going to do better. And then they do for like, you know, six weeks, a month, six weeks, something like that. And then it starts all slowly falling back into the same pattern because they got relaxed and said, oh, well, they're happy with me now, and so that's all that it takes. What that was meant to do is appease the partner. It was, I'm going to do better, and they, they appease the partner for long enough so they think that a partner's forgotten about it, and then they slowly begin to fall back into the old behavior. So their motivation was not to do some real work that would actually uh, help them grow, their motivation was to please the partner so that they could, you know, uh, not have them mad at them. And of course, they don't intend to fall back into the old pattern, but the default position is a powerful position, and it draws us back into it if we're not really working to identify with our, the authentic self. Um, so we have to make good on our promises to work on the given issues of which we become conscious in the relationship, and our partner has to make good on their promises to work on any given issues that be, that of which they become conscious in a relationship. So this is a two-way street. Both people have to be able to keep their promises. And if I say to you, I'm going to do anything, then I need to be able to do it. 
So it's not just about the issues that come up in a relationship. If I say, I'm going to wash the dishes tonight, but then I won't wash the dishes tonight, then I haven't made good on my promise. How many promises like that can be broken before you begin to distrust the individual? If you're not going to do it, don't say you're going to do it. It's really that simple. If you're not going to wash the dishes, say, well, you know, if I have time, I'll get to the dishes. Uh, Or if I have the energy, I'll get to the dishes. But don't say you're going to do it unless you're really going to do it. So promises are huge in a relationship. When you make that promise, best to keep it. Um, So uh, people need to be able to discuss difficult issues with honesty, personal responsibility, and problem-solving skills. In a relationship, there are going to be things that come up that are going to be difficult for both parties. That is a fact of life. You can't get around it no matter how romantic and candlelit and sexy it looks from the beginning. If it's, it, there's going to be times when the, it's just so difficult to work on these things. And, and we're going to have to look at them and sit down together and say, okay, look, here's how I honestly feel about this. And here's how I honestly feel about this. Let's see if we can put our heads together and come up with a solution to this. Can we, can we do that? And if not, go to therapy. And see if you can get the therapist to help you come to a solution. Um, Issues like which job to take, how much money is in the bank, children, parenting, all kinds of issues come up in a relationship that require us to sit down and be honest with our partner about how we feel, not try to please the partner and not try to control the partner, but to say, this is how I feel. I'm going to be vulnerable to you about how I feel about this particular problem or issue in our relationship. And I want you to be the same so that we can put both of our feelings on the table and see if we can come to some kind of, of, of mutual ground so that both of us can be happy with our solution. Um, and that means taking personal responsibility. That means I have to be responsible for how I feel. I have to be able to name my own feelings. I have to be able to to look inside and see what I'm feeling, feel what I'm feeling first, and then give it a name and take responsibility for it. This is my feeling. I'm not saying that you're responsible for my feeling. I'm not saying something else or someone else is responsible for my feeling. I'm just saying this is how I feel. This is my opinion. This is my original thinking. This is what I, I, I want to put on the table here. And you do the same, and we'll sort through all that and see if we can come up with a, a mutual, mutually agreeable solution to this problem. If we can't do that, then we lack the relationship skills required for a healthy, happy, long-term relationship. Um, and if we can't do that, perhaps it's time to go to therapy and figure out how, what stops us from being able to do that. Are we afraid of intimacy? Are we afraid of commitment? Are we, do we feel unworthy in some way? What is it that keeps us from being able to really discuss difficult issues with honesty, personal responsibility, and problem-solving skills? What is that? Maybe we never saw anybody do it, so we don't know how to do it, or we're just afraid to do it. Uh, Whatever that is, we might need to get some help to figure out how to do that, or we're not going to have a long-term, healthy, happy, committed relationship. It's just requirement. Um, So we have to be able to look for and find solutions to problems that do arise, even in the midst of a fight. So, you know, one of the things about a fight in a relationship is that it can be a very healthy thing to have a fight in a relationship if... On the end of it, you have both come to some kind of understanding or some kind of mutually agreeable solution to the problem. When people can do that, that means they fight well. We say that in mental health. Well, this couple knows how to fight well. 
Um, what that means is that we that that this couple really does know how to get to the solution to a problem, and that might mean that in the middle of a fight, one or both of the parties will start going, "Oh yeah, you're right. You know what? You are absolutely right. I did that. You're right. I can't argue with you. That's what I did, and I'm responsible for it. And so, okay, let's figure out where we're going to go from here." Um, sometimes that starts with humor. Sometimes one or both parties say something that's just hilariously funny right in the middle of a fight. That's a great skill to have. It, it sort of tips the fight off over and, 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 and sort of lays it down on the ground with its feet up in the air so that you can both look at its belly and go, oh, okay, there, there it is. That's what's going on between us. Um, so uh, we have to be able to fight well in a relationship. And that means we have to be prepared to fight. Uh, some of the most difficult to, uh, to resolve relationship issues are based in the fact that couples refuse to fight. When couples come into my office and say, I am not, we have never had a fight and we don't want to ever have a fight. We came to you because we want you to make sure we don't ever have a fight. And I say, you know, I'm really sorry. I don't think I can help you with that because I think fights are important to a relationship. We have to be able to fight to be able to know how we really feel. If you've never had a fight, that means both of you are probably tippy-toeing around on eggshells quite a bit, trying to make sure you don't ever bother, disturb, or upset the other party. Um, And that's not healthy for a relationship. So we can get really meshed that way, and it can feel kind of safe, but it's not really healthy because otherwise they wouldn't end up in my office. They can you can get so used to repressing your feelings about about what's going on in the relationship because so so that you won't fight uh, that you stop loving the other person you stop having feelings for the other person there's so many other feelings piled on top of that that you've repressed that you can't even find the feelings of love anymore so the point of therapy will be then to unbury those feelings so they can come out in the room and be expressed and then you begin to feel the love and closeness again. So not fighting is not a good solution in a relationship. A good fight, a good healthy fight is good. Now, I'm not saying we fight every day, all day, every day. That's certainly not. That's not healthy either. But uh, a nice middle ground where there's a fight every now and then that, that clears the air, that both people get to express their feelings openly and honestly, and then come to a solution about what, what they can do to, to this mutually agreeable, that's a good healthy thing. And I encourage people to learn how to fight well. So that's going to be a part of having a good, healthy relationship. Being able to express affection is another one. Um, I very commonly see couples where one party is very expressive and the other party just doesn't want to tell how they feel or touch or show affection or what they call PDA, public displays of affection, or even affection in the privacy of their own home. They just don't do it. And the other person feels unloved and it doesn't work. It's not, it's not effective. So if you're a person who loves to be, uh, have affection, then you don't need to be getting involved with a person who doesn't show affection. If they, if they don't show affection, that's probably not going to be a good party, a uh, good uh, risk for you to take. You're investing your heart in this relationship. And if you're going to invest your heart in something, you want to look into it a little bit and make sure that you're not putting your heart in a, in a vice grip that's going to only hurt more and more over time. So they have to be able to express affection, and that's part of the intimacy that uh, goes down in a relationship is, is I, I can tell you that I love you, and I can look in your eyes and say that I love you, and I can kiss you, and I can hold you, and I can when you're upset, I can come to you and hold you and support you and really be there for you. That's a really important part of a relationship. Um, 
And we have to be able to dialogue in deep and meaningful ways. We can't be afraid of the difficult subjects. If we are, then we won't go there. Or if, you know, unless we have the courage to overcome our fear, we won't go there. And, and we won't be able to really resolve the issues that are hanging out there in front of us. So, okay, we're going to stop right here and take another break. These are the relationship skills we're talking about that are are very important to have in a really healthy, happy, long-term commitment. And we're going to talk some more about those right after the break. Stay tuned for this last segment. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Are you ready to shift into higher consciousness? Are you ready for contact with beings from higher dimensions? Ancient and new spiritual technologies will help you take that evolutionary step. Find out more about this powerful shift when you tune in to Conscious Evolution Radio with Ann Gelsheimer. Let's help humanity evolve, bringing in the best possibilities and ideas that our world needs right now. Conscious Evolution Radio can be heard live every Friday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Why spiritual spelunking? Why tending to our inner garden? Why devoting time to inner being when so much external doing calls upon us? An Indian sage put it wisely. Your own self-realization is the greatest service you can render the world. Join host Jeel Asselin as he serves as both guide and companion on the journey within. Nurturing the spiritual spelunker in all of us can be heard every Thursday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time and 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Everyone can learn to communicate with their loved ones in spirit. When you tune in to School of Miracles Radio with Heather Scavetta, you'll learn more about how to develop the ability to see, hear, and feel your loved ones in spirit, as well as spirit guides, masters, angels, and higher beings of light that make up the invisible world. School of Miracles Radio airs live every Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America's 7th Wave Channel. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll-free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthews.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. we're back we're talking today about what it takes to have a long-term healthy happy relationship and what we've said thus far is that we have to be able to um, understand the meaning of love that we have to be attracted to somebody who has the capacity to have a long-term committed relationship and we have to have uh, relationship skills what we haven't said thus far and I want to spend just a moment on and then I want to go back to the relationship skills is that we also have to have some level of compatibility. That doesn't mean that all of our interests need to be in common. 
but it does mean the deepest, most important uh, parts of who we are match up well with that other person. So if I'm a deeply spiritual person and I marry a person who, or want to be in relationship with a person who uh, not only isn't spiritual, but also condemns and criticizes and uh, sarcastically abuses spiritual people, then I'm that's not going to be a working relationship. When you say, well, that'll be over here, you know, that'll, we just won't talk about that. But the spiritual longing in the, in the deeply spiritual person is going to need to be, want somebody to talk to about it. And it's going to want expression. And so if you put that away so you can have the partner, then what you're doing is putting away part of your own authenticity to have a partner. And so often that's what we do. We put away parts of ourselves in order to keep the other partners happy. And they'll be happy with us, so we'll just put that away. We'll pretend that doesn't exist. And whatever it is, some value that we cherish or some relationship that we want to continue to have, like if we want have a, a good friend that we want to continue to relate to and the other party says, no, 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 you're not allowed to have any friends outside of our relationship, then first, that's probably a fairly controlling partner. And second, um, you know, that's... That's, that says I've got to sacrifice parts of myself in order to have this relationship. Anytime you have to give up part of yourself to have a relationship, the relationship is not truly compatible and you're trying to bargain with compatibility. You're trying to say, well, if I just give this up, then I can still have the relationship. And the relationship will ultimately crash and burn because your authenticity will out. Eventually, you'll want those things that you gave up. You'll want them again. And uh, then your partner's not going to be happy with that, and then you guys are going to be in trouble. So compatibility is really important. It doesn't mean that you both have to like the same kinds of things always, but it does mean you have to have the same deep and important values. You have to value things similarly. If if one of you thinks the relationship is long-term commitment and the other one thinks it's just a dating relationship, well, that's a value that's very different. Um, and so we need to really uh, look at that, really pay attention to what's going on in relationship. One of the biggest problems we have in relationship is that we go into denial about what's really true and what's really false. We have a fantasy about Mr. Wonderful or Miss Wonderful, and we plaster it over that person's face, and that's all we see is that fantasy. We don't let ourselves see the real person. And relationships that are real are based on really seeing both parties as real people. So both people are allowed to be real. And that brings us back to the relationship skills where one of the primary, what we've been talking about, about being able to open up and talk honestly about how we feel about things, that's an issue of vulnerability. And vulnerability is intimacy. You cannot have intimacy without vulnerability. If you're, you know, being Mr. Strong or Miss Strong in the relationship and saying, I don't need to tell my partner this or that or the other because he'll get upset or she'll get upset or because they got too much on him right now or because, 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 then you're not being vulnerable and therefore you're breaking down the intimacy that could be in your relationship and therefore the relationship is already in danger because you, you're, the basic bottom line of what we said in the very beginning of the show, the basic bottom line of what, what works in an effective, long-term, happy, healthy relationship is intimacy. And intimacy is made up entirely of vulnerability. I can open up my, crack open my rib cage and let you see my deepest heart. And you will respect that and treat it with respect. And we will be closer because I have done that. And both parties can do that. And if you're with somebody 
who can't be vulnerable and you can be, you're in trouble because you're going to want to be vulnerable and they're not going to want to be and that's going to be an unsatisfying relationship. That's one of those values that are very different. Um, So in that same vein, intimacy means that we have the capacity to give passionately and fluidly. We give because we love, not because we have to, not because we should, not because there's some uh, duty waiting for us to fulfill, not because we're loyal to someone. We give because our hearts truly want to give. And that's, that's because the doors to the heart are open because we're being vulnerable to the other party. I'm letting you know that I want to give this to you because I just adore you so much. Um, Another thing that is about vulnerability is the ability to admit and take responsibility for wrongdoing. If I've said I was going to do something and I didn't do it, then I have not kept my promise and I need to own responsibility for that. If I have uh, had a blind spot and didn't realize that I was uh, not... Uh, uh, being affectionate or not being responsive or not being open with my partner, then my partner might be might point out that blind spot to me and then I might have to go, yeah, you know what? You're right. I have been totally blind to that. I did not see I was doing that. I'm going to take responsibility for that and I'm going to work on it. That is a healthy reaction to somebody pointing out a blind spot. Now, of course, Both parties also have to learn how to call the other party on their behavior when necessary, but to do it with uh, respect for the other party. Everybody's got blind spots. There's not a person on the planet who doesn't have blind spots. We have thus far, to my knowledge, not been able to get rid of the blind spots in our cars when we're driving them. So how do we think we're going to get rid of the blind spots in our psyches? Uh, Nobody that I know is totally conscious all the time. So... Uh, we are going to do things that need for somebody to call us on it. And when, when, that ha- when, when they call us on it, they need to do it with respect. And it could start off something like this. I don't know whether you're aware of this or not, but I've noticed that when X happens, you do X. Or I've noticed that you've done so-and-so and so-and-so several times. And it feels like it's beginning to be a pattern to me. Um, that's how we call somebody on something. We don't go up to them and say, you you know, SOB, you need to stop doing so-and-so, you're so mean to me, and you're so this and that. When we start pointing the finger at somebody else and using the you word, what we're doing is setting up a defensive posture. We're asking the other person, please be defensive with me because I'm telling you that you're not worthy. So you statements generally give people that feeling of I'm not worthy. And anytime we have that feeling of unworthiness, we are going to defend ourselves. That is primal. We're just going to defend ourselves when somebody insists in whatever way, uh, so uh, overtly or covertly, that we're not worthy. Um, and when we start off with you statements, it has that impact, even though we're not really saying that. Sometimes it, it has that it has that connotation to it that that uh, that we feel like we're being told we're unworthy. So. When we talk to someone else about how their how their imp- their behavior is impacting us, another way to go about that is to say, you know, when you do X, Y, and Z, I feel X, Y, and Z. When you do that, I feel very hurt. Um, and that is just a way of saying it's it's you know assertiveness one hundred and one basically, but it's a way of owning my feelings about your behavior rather than just accusing you of your behavior. So when we when we meet somebody who's who we want to be with, 
we need to use that capacity to be able to call them on their stuff, but do it in a way that respects them and their personhood uh, and, uh, and, and gives us responsibility for our feelings instead of blaming them for our feelings. Uh, so that's a, that's a very important relationship skill that everyone needs in relationship. We need to be able to call other people on their behavior when necessary, and we need to be able to admit and take responsibility for wrongdoing when we do something wrong. Um, and so those are also parts of vulnerability. So vulnerability is something that's really difficult for us to get to if we don't trust that A, we will be able to receive what we discover in our vulnerability, and B, that others will be able to receive what's in our vulnerability. So if I am ashamed of a certain aspect of my being, let's just say I have uh, some body image issues, and I'm ashamed of my body, then I might want the lights turned off when we're having sex at night. Um, And you might say, well, that's, you know, no, I don't want the lights turned off. Turn the lights on. But if I, but if if you can say to me with sensitivity, you know, let's talk about this. What what's really going on? Then I might be able to open up and express to you what's really going on for me and how difficult it is for me you know, with my body image issues. And you might be able to be supportive of me as I work on that. You won't be able to fix it. You won't be able to just tell me, "Oh, you're beautiful. Get over it." Um, body image issues go deeper than that. But, but you might be able to be supportive of me while I do that work. And it might take some time and some patience on both of our parts for me to be able to get to the place where my body issues no longer interfere with our sex life. Um, so it's that kind of thing that does come up in relationships every single day that we tend to lose patience with because we think the other person's doing it to us instead of just doing it because there's, they've got their own issue. So when we're talking about this issue of vulnerability, it is sacred turf. You know the old story in the Bible about Moses arriving at the bush that was burning and, and, and God is supposed to say to him, take off your shoes because you're standing on holy ground. Well, that's the way it is with vulnerability. We have to take off our shoes because we're standing on holy ground. It is sacred territory. We don't want to go in there with our boots on, kicking over the gravestones and asking other people to just deal with it. Uh, we want to handle it with a deep sensitivity to uh, and respect for somebody else's issues and somebody else's really soft spots. So vulnerability is, is, uh, is something we will only give to the people we trust the most. And uh, we might even tell somebody about something that happened that was tragic or difficult in our lives, but we won't share with them the feelings we had about that unless we really trust them to be able to handle those kind of feelings with respect and, and grace. So bottom line, it, what it takes in a relationship is three things. We have to be attracted to Mr. Right or Miss Right. I'll say four things. We have to be attracted to the right person. We have to be. We have to love that person. Really love them, not something that looks like love but isn't love. But really love them. We have to be compatible with that person because compatibility means we're in the everyday going to be able to really get along and respect each other. And we have to be able to. Both parties have to be able to have relationship skills. And the bottom line about relationship skills is intimacy. And intimacy is made up of vulnerability. So intimacy, you know, people talk to me about, well, we haven't been intimate lately. What they mean is we haven't had sex lately. 
And I want to say, well, tell me about your intimacy. What, what does your intimacy consist of? And most of the time they say sex, but they may have gone weeks without even talking to each other and they don't understand why they're not having sex. Well, they're not having sex because they're not being intimate before they ever get to sex. Uh, so intimacy, uh, sex is, uh, is an outgrowth uh, of intimacy, not vice versa. We don't get more intimate by having sex. We get more sexual by having intimacy. Um, so those are some things that really have to be in place before we can have an, a long-term committed relationship. It's not that hard. It really requires that we work on ourselves to be authentic people, and then we will attract more authentic people. Um, and that's a real important piece. So we, as we attract more authentic people, they will have some of these relationship skills and we will be compatible with them and we can have a long-term committed relationship. So bottom line, the more authentic you are, the more you are creating the potential to have a long-term effective, happy relationship with another human being. Okay, that's going to be it for today. We're going to be back again next week. I'm going to be here for that. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.